I am so glad that you're here. You know, it's uh, cool to be together, to experience this together. And, and we all love really great experiences. And I had one a couple of weeks ago that um, with some hesitation I want to tell you about. Dramatic pause. Uh, I was uh, about to go out of town for a couple of days with my wife on a kind of work-ish trip. And uh, I wanted to do something with each of my kids, just a little extra that week prior, knowing that I was going to be gone. And so my daughter, I thought, you know, I'm going to pick her up, and I'm going to take her to get her nails done. And so I, um, I, uh, I, you know, I say, hey, baby, I'm going to pick you up from school, which she was excited about. And, and on the way home, I said, you want to get your nails done? And she's like, yes, of course, you know. And, uh, and so we go there. And on the way, I'm thinking to myself, like, well, if I do that with her, I could also, of course, invite Jeannie because, you know, I'm not stupid. And, uh, and so I said, Jeannie, you want to you meet us there? So, yeah, sure. So Keaton and I are there, and she's up against a little nail bar. I've never been inside a nail song before in my life. Um, and she's up on the kind of nail bar getting her thing done, and we're trying to decide on paint colors and all that kind of stuff. And then Jeannie walks in, and then, and then she says she's going to get a pedicure. And she looks at me, and she's like, you want to get a pedicure? And, of course, I did what any respectable man would do. Like, for real? Like, no, I'm not going to do that. But then I remember some years ago, one of my most manliest man kind of friends uh, who played college basketball uh, told me that if he could do any one thing to treat himself for free for the rest of his life, that the one thing that he would do would be to get a pedicure. And I have for a few years just made fun of him because in my mind that was very uh, weird for a dude to get a pedicure. And uh, so there we are, but I felt the pressure. There was a lot of pressure from, from Jeannie and from Keaton and all these older ladies from West U. And they're looking at me, expecting me. And then, the, then these Vietnamese ladies are looking at me, expecting me to give them my money. And so I say, okay, so I sit down in this chair. Let me just tell you something. I went from fear and trepidation to glory. <laughs> and I was so nervous because the, the gal that came up and sat in front of my feet, I just I knew that the look on her face once she saw my feet, 42 full years of activity on those feet, she would walk up and she would immediately just quit and walk out the door, you know, going back to Vietnam. And... Um, <laughs> But she walked up, and so graciously, she began to give me a pedicure. Let me tell you something right now. That experience was glorious. I had that chair lean back. I had that vibration thing on my back. I was uh, enjoying uh, sitting next to my beautiful wife, watching my beautiful daughter. Uh, They were working on my feet, and I said, this experience is so great. I'm going to do it again and again and again. So if anybody wants to go, our next men's event is going to be pedicures. Don't you know that when you experience something awesome, it is something that you want to experience again and again and again, right? And the most important kind of experiences are the ones that reach deep into your heart and mean something for eternity. I could go and, you know, every two weeks and I would still need to go back and there'd still be at the end of my life when I'm dead, it doesn't matter what my feet look like. One thing that I love about the church is I love about the experience of the church is that you get to experience things that will last beyond your life. You get to experience things that will reach deep into your heart and give you a sense of purpose and sense of meaning, and it'll connect you to God Almighty. That's what we're doing here today. Is we are saying, God, we want to meet with you. So we're kind of fostering this environment for people. Some of you aren't really sure about how to connect with God, but maybe you want to. Maybe there's an interest there. 
And so we're trying to create a safe space for us to sing a couple of songs about, of things that are true about God. We're, we're trying to um, uh, put just the right elements in it. Be real. That's one thing that is important to us. Just be authentic. Let, let's, just, let's, let's just get it out on the table. If it's hard to believe, hard to understand, let's just be honest because all of us live in the real world. And the thing about this, most of you are here because you believe in God. Not all of you do, which is, I'm, I'm especially glad that you're here. And there's a part of you, for those of you that do believe and have faith in God, you believe your brain has heard the teachings of the Bible about who Jesus is, about the Christian faith, and how by faith in Christ, you can, in fact, be reconciled to God. And you have heard that in the part of your brain that, that makes reasonable decisions and you believe it to be true. And then there's another part of your brain that sometimes we call our heart where we feel it's true. Many of you are here because your faith is important to you, right? And in a mysterious, hard to describe kind of way, not only is your faith important to you, but for most of you, your relationship with God is the most important relationship you have. You go to God when you're down to be lifted up. You go to God for wisdom when a situation is complex and needs a solution. You go to God when you're lonely to feel connected to unconditional love. There's just so much about the Christian faith that is indescribably important for us Right? I mean, let, let's just talk more about this. It's the singing. I, I don't know about you. There are not a lot of environments that I'm in on a daily basis where I'm with a group of people and we're just singing. I mean, sure, some of you go to concerts often and maybe you know the songs of the person singing and you'll sing along with them and that's a lot of fun. But one really cool thing about church is that when we get together, we're led in song to say things to God or about God. And, and when we do that, there are times when our songs like bring us face to face with God Almighty. Uh, and, and I just believe that God, when we're singing these songs, no matter what your voice sounds like, can I get an amen? Uh, no matter what your voice sounds like, when you sing these songs to God, it's like a pleasing aroma to him. I love it. I love that part of it. I love it when Ryan, Matt, and Lauren and others lead. I love it when, when, when they lead us in singing. I also love the reading of the scripture. I love it because when somebody's standing on the stage and they're reading the Bible... Or somebody's sitting in my home for our small group, our loop group, and they're reading the Bible. I love it because I just imagine that it's like this roaring lion, so strong, so steady, just waiting to be released in power. And I love the sermon, don't you? Thank you, Jeannie, for that uh, very exuberant. There's just something about a good sermon. And I've heard a couple of the last two weeks. I've not been the one preaching, but I've been here both weeks. I've heard some great sermons. I listen to sermons all during the week from my favorite preachers around the, around the world. I love a good sermon because a good sermon feels like God is literally breathing on you. A good sermon has the power to teach, to correct, to rebuke, and to train. And a good sermon always always, always lifts up Jesus as the hero. If I walk away from a sermon and I think to myself, well, wow, that pastor thinks he's the hero or the church is a hero, then I'm like, there's a problem. A good sermon says Jesus is the hero. 
And the gospel is good news. Like there is good news that though I'm separated from God because of my sin, God has made a way. And the amazing thing about a good sermon, if it's preached uh, even kind of close to good, is that you will hear that you do not have to be perfect to come to God. In fact, you're not perfect, which is why God put on flesh in the form of a man named Jesus and died on a cross so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you could be given new life. Like, that is a good sermon. There's something about hearing that. And I don't know about you. I need to hear it every single week. I need to be reminded that I'm loved and have experienced God's grace. That's wonderful. You know, you know what else? You know why else you're here? You know, why, you know why else you love the experience? It's the people, right? There's just something cool about walking with a group of people over a long period of time and talking about something more than just the Astros or the Rockets and surface-level temporary things. I don't know about you, but the older I get, the less time I have for relationships that aren't like below the surface, uh, one cool thing about this church, when we started this church, there were, as I can remember, of adult families still here, there were only six kids. Now, there's about 20. And that, was, that growth of family represents a group of people that have walked together in church life for a, a, a long time. It also represents some procreation, which is a good and godly thing. It's the people in the church that makes it so enjoyable, right? You get to become friends with people. There are some people that you're sitting next to that know you more than maybe even some of your own family members. For some of you, the church as a family is like a restored, redeemed version of your family, which uh, isn't so great. So, so the church has the people, it has the singing, it has the Bible, it has the, the sermon. And, and it also, there's something about the experience of the church when we, we get to serve together, right? We get to serve together. And sure, there are a lot of people all around us that like to serve. I mean, that's not uncommon for somebody even outside of the Christian faith to want to serve and desire to serve. But there's something different about the reason that Christians serve. Christians serve in response to what God has done for us, not to get something for, from God or from a, a people. There's something about that that's really beautiful. The experience of the singing and the preaching and the scripture and the people and the friendships and the serving and then there's the hope right there's the hope that we have there's a hope of of help on earth when you're suffering or struggling i appreciate so much ryan talking about his experience uh in the er it was very similar my experience getting a um my nails done very similar kind of experience no, but I appreciate him because what he's essentially saying in that, like, I was kind of like ho-hum and everybody else is freaking out, is he knows that God is still in control. There's something really beautiful about that. But not only that, I mean, you have hope in this life for help in suffering, but you have the hope of salvation in Christ. Like, here's what we know, that though we have help in our suffering now, we'll always experience some kind of brokenness in our life. We live in a broken world. Though we get a taste of heaven, this isn't heaven. You see, we as Christians get the hope that the best is yet to come. And it's awesome. 
I love that experience. And, and here's the thing what I know to be true about most of you is that, is that the way that we're talking about the Christian faith, it, it's not about religion, right? I mean, there was a day when people would go to church. That was kind of the cultural climate. You'd go to church, and if you didn't, you were an outsider. That's different today, especially in this area of the city. So the reason that you're here is not about religion. It's about relationship. Relationship with God, relationship with each other, relationship with yourself. I mean, most of your unchurched friends see what you're choosing to do on a Sunday morning or being a part of a church as a religious decision. But you know, as well as I know, that it's not about a religious decision. It's about living the life that God has called you to and experiencing the peace of life with Jesus Christ. And having the hope of, uh, of eternity in the next life. And, um, and I'm just painting this picture a little bit, trying to stir up in you maybe one or two things that you would say, I love about this. Here's the thing. When Jesus stood before his disciples near the end of his life, and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I imagine that he knew that his disciples needed to do that because you would really enjoy being a part of the Christian church. And I imagine that if for whatever reason Jesus had not come until our lifetime and he had just been crucified, had just been raised from the dead and was standing before us today about to ascend into heaven, which is talked about in the New Testament of the Bible, that he, if given the opportunity to say something to us, it would be very similar. The idea of go from here and share with others what you've experienced to be true and meaningful and helpful. It's such a really terrible analogy, but I now will champion men getting pedicures. Why? Because it was an experience that I want to share with others. Okay, so that's very insignificant. And uh, my birthday's coming up, so if I get a gift card, you know, cool, whatever. Um, But take that over here and go, Jesus is saying, hey, what you're experiencing in salvation and in a meaningful life I want you to go tell others. But we might not. We might not go and make disciples. But which is strange because we all know people who need God. You see, you know as well as I know, when you think about somebody that doesn't have a relationship with God and you think about wanting them to have a relationship with God, It is not at all about you trying to cram your ideology into their minds. No. It is about love. Like, whoa, I'm experiencing this. So it just makes sense that I would share it with others. We all know people who need God. Some of you are here and you need God. You're unsure how to connect with God. And so then I'm glad you're here. We all know 
know people who need unconditional love. We know people who need supernatural wisdom. Uh, we knew, know people that are searching uh, feverishly for connection and, um, and feeling like it just falls short in every earthly relationship. We know people who, if they were to die today, would spend eternity separated from God in hell. We know people who are not in the tribe of Christians and whose lives would be infinitely more satisfying for them if they met Jesus. So why is it that most people who claim Christ will live their entire Christian life having never invited somebody to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. That is true. The statistics are mind-boggling. Why is it? I mean, we have a hard time even mustering up the courage to invite anybody to church. Here's the reason. Fear. Everybody say it. Fear. So we are afraid. I'm afraid. You're afraid. Because talking about anything that sounds like religion can create chaos for you. And it's scary to make decisions that you know will create chaos for yourself. People do not like to be challenged in their thinking, right? And in our day, uh, the idea that we would make a new proposal of truth is not only, I mean, it's like maybe there was a day where it was just ignored, where now it's seen as a threat to people's belief system, and they're not even willing to consider it. We know that to be true, and one reason they're not willing to consider it, and anybody is not willing to consider a new idea, is because it might require change, and no one likes change, especially when change requires personal sacrifice. So we're afraid. And sometimes we know this, when we're in a relationship with somebody and we want to bring to them an idea that they don't know how to respond to, most times people will withdraw. And sometimes when people withdraw, they don't do it quietly. And we know this, we're afraid and we don't like chaos. For you, you might fear the loss of a relationship or the loss of your job. You might even fear, if you can imagine this, that talking to people about your faith in Christ and encouraging people in their exploration of a relationship with God, you might even fear that that would mean that your church life has to cross into your everyday life. And for some of you, that is scary because if that were to happen, then some of your everyday life would have to change and nobody likes change. Now, and I feel certain that some of you really, really want to be the person that, that, that is is able to have an impact in somebody else's life for eternity by talking to them about who God is and how they can have a relationship with them or even inviting them to church. You want to do that, but you're scared because you're afraid you're not going to know what to say. Have you ever felt that? I have. Most people I talk to are smarter than me. That's what I'm realizing the older I get. Thank you for not amening that. I appreciate that. We're afraid. People are afraid. Those first disciples trembled at the words of Jesus. And Sergio said last week, it took them several chapters into the book of Acts before they actually started taking the message about who Jesus is and what he did and teaching it to people. They were trembling. They were fearful, like you and like me. But here's the thing about Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. It's an actual command. Like, it's not optional. Now, for those of you that are new to this church or outside of the Christian faith and just... 
just, just hold on for a second. But for the rest of you that have been a part of this church for a while, you would know that we would say that the Bible is inspired by God, written for us, and we don't get to approach it and say, I'll choose to obey this or I'll choose to not obey this. No, we get to go, what does the Bible say? It reveals who Jesus is and what he wants us to do, and then we hear these commands and then we obey. We submit to Jesus by listening to his word. And that is painful for some of you. But what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 28, it's an actual command, and we are afraid to respond to it for whatever reason, and most people won't. They'll spend their entire lives. But here's the thing about fear. You know the most often repeated command in all of the Bible? Do not be afraid. Isn't that crazy? The command given most often in the Bible is do not be afraid. Hundreds of times. Hundreds of times, God speaks through people who write the Bible the words, do not be afraid. Why is that? I mean, just generally, most things that we must do in life that make our lives worth living are scary. And the way that God works is rather than keeping us or hiding us from scary things and scary steps of faith, he says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. When God sent Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1 it says, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid. I am your shield and your great reward. Exodus chapter 20, verse 20. Moses, who has already heard from God, do not be afraid, begins to speak to the people he's leading. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Do not be afraid. Do you believe that the Bible has a repeated, important word for us? And though we tremble, and though we're scared, along the way in our life, if we're unwilling to step out into risk, we'll never really get to live the kind of life that Jesus envisions for us when he says those words to those, to those disciples. And here's the thing. For some of you, the reason that you're here, in fact, no, for all of you, the reason that you're here is because somewhere at some point in history, someone has not been afraid. Well, my parents used to drag my butt to church every Sunday. They probably at some level feared how I would respond because I didn't want to go. Whenever Jeannie and I made a decision that rather than go on this career path, that I would go on this career path, there was a lot of fear in us because we knew that this career path wasn't quite as uh, lucrative financially. But we heard the voice of the Lord, do not be afraid. Some of you, when you began helping us start this church, 
you might have been afraid that you would lose out or not know what to do or not know how to serve. But God said to you, do not be afraid. Still others of you are here this morning and there's something that God wants you to do in your life. You know, maybe it's a career decision, a schooling decision, a relationship decision, and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know, God, I don't know if I can do it. And the word of the Lord to you is do not be afraid. Repeated again and again and again. Do not be afraid. I am frequently fearful as I think about what it takes to lead you not because you're hard to lead, although some of you are real pains in the butt, but I won't talk about that. I heard an amen from the back, you know, like, okay. No, I'm fearful to lead because I know how short-sighted and limited and, and hidden my own life can be. But you know what? I hear the word of the Lord. Do not be afraid. Hundreds of verses. When Joshua was about to lead Israel into the promised land, he was fearful Joshua chapter 10, verse 25, the Lord said, do not be afraid. Are you, are you getting what I'm saying here? I know that you're afraid of what might happen if you actually put your faith out there in your everyday life. And I know that the way that some people will respond to you will be they'll withdraw and maybe even withdraw in a way that hurts your feelings. But what I would say to you is this, do not be afraid. Fear is a liar, and it will ruin your life, and it will keep you from living the life that God has for you. Psalm chapter 56, verse 3 says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust, and I am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Do not be afraid. I know God has a plan for this community. And I know that some people that are not yet followers of Christ will become followers of Christ because there are at least a few of you who are going to hear the words of the Lord. Do not be afraid. It's an actual command, and we have to choose whether or not we're going to obey it. And so with all of that said, we have a plan here that Jesus gives us. Here's the plan. Go. Now, the word here, go, means like as you're going. And so it can mean like go, like we have people that have left our church. Amanda McCoy is one of them and left our church with her medical training and medical degree and gone to Kenya, Africa. She's gone to another place in the world. But it also can mean like as you go, like, okay, tomorrow, as you go to work, as you go to your workout class, as you go to lunch, as you go to uh, the local bar that you like hanging out with or at, as you go. The command is not that we cram the message of Jesus down people's throats. Don't do that. Plenty of people have tried, and that just ruins it for all the rest of us. Let your going begin with praying for those and truly loving those who don't walk with Jesus. And the reason that you want to invite them to life with Christ is because of your experience. And you know that it is a wonderful thing to have the friendships and have the experience of singing and sermons and connection. But most of all, to have the hope of eternity with God. And the idea is that you would go to a few 
See, I don't know about you, but I, I drive around, I'm like, whoa, this is quite intimidating. There's no way that I can reach out to all these people who God loves so much. But you know what? If a lot of us do for a few, then there we go. That's how we started this church, actually. We just moved into the city, and we went to the kids' school, and we just started saying, God, who can we love and care for and share Christ with? And next thing I know, there's 20 people in my living room. The next thing I know, we have like a space, and it began to grow from there. And it wasn't just me doing it, it was others doing it that were going. And as you're going, just inviting people to life with Christ. And it is scary. You will get rejected. Jesus says people will hate you because of me. If you live your whole life fearful that people are going to hate you, you're never really going to live. So as you're going, you go. Let us love and serve people with their eyes wide open to speak the truth. If you will love and serve people honestly and sincerely, not just so that you can help them be converted, but because you really truly believe that this is an expression of your Christian faith, it will shock them and you will turn your little group of friends and your workplace and your neighborhood upside down for the glory of God. And then when it gets comfortable and it gets messy or it gets uncomfortable and it gets messy, just remember that there are saints that have gone for you, gone before you, some of which have died because they proclaimed the name of Jesus. I mean, for us, we're, it's just really silly if you think about it. For us, we're uncomfortable with the idea of somebody like not being our friend on social media if we actually invite them to church. I mean, that is like shocking. I imagine that the saints of old are like looking down and being like, are you kidding me? I was burned at the stake for talking about Jesus. And I'm not saying that to like beat anybody up, but if it motivates you, great. Okay, so as you're going and then make disciples, here's this thing with making disciples. Here's what I know. I can't make what I'm not. And so as I'm, I'm following Jesus and I'm investing in others, the, the first and most primary of which for me is my family, my children. So I know this, like I follow Jesus and then I get to pass on what I'm learning to teach my kids. And that requires a kind of long-term relationship. That requires an ongoing kind of thing. It's not one sermon. It's not just one package of ideas. Making disciples is an ongoing kind of a thing. I'm helping my kids and then hopefully you all to follow Jesus and to obey his command. And then Jesus says, I want you to make disciples and baptize them. The thing about baptism, Christians in the first century were not the only ones that uh, experienced baptism. In fact, baptism was a way that uh, a Jewish rabbi would like kind of select his group of disciples, his group of followers. And so people that were Gentiles could be baptized into the way of this Jewish rabbi. And there are other kind of ways of baptism, groups that were baptizing. So when Jesus came along and he said, hey, I want you to baptize them, it wasn't like a new concept. It was very familiar in the first century. What was different is that Jesus is saying, I want for you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So we do not baptize people in Rabbi Russell's name or Rabbi Andrew's name, or Rabbi whoever's baptizing them name, we baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit because what they're immersing themselves in is the family of God. And for some of you, maybe that's just a really simple step of obedience in your own Christian faith. Maybe you're afraid to be baptized, but you need to be. So we are going and we are sharing Christ to all people. And here's the thing I want you to hear, and then I'm going to begin to bring this to a close. Jesus says the words, behold, I'm with you all. That, that it's second person plural when he says, I'm with you. 
So he's not just talking about I'm with you. He's talking about I'm with you. You see, as we're going, we do not go alone, but instead we go with the Father. I feel quite passionate about the Great Commission, not only because it's in the Bible, but because of this. There are people around you and me every single day that are living their lives and are miserable, separated from God. They cover it up with expensive clothes and a braggadocious lifestyle. They cover it up with alcohol and drugs and whatever else is helping them to function. But what I'm saying to you is this, is that the way of Jesus is what you have received I want you to take it to others. And in the history of the church, there have been times where people have said, that's the job of the pastor. But in the history of the church, the real growth has come through everyday ordinary people just like you. So will you go? This is the third week we've read this passage, and taught this passage. And so my question for you is, will you obey it? For those of you that are here that have never crossed over the line of faith, this is probably for you, I hope, kind of an interesting look into the way that Christians think about uh, evangelism and sharing Christ. And, and maybe you've encountered people who have been Christians, and you're like, wait a minute, they're saying this, but they're doing this, it doesn't line up, therefore I'm out. But what I would say to you is that um, the Bible makes it quite clear that God loves you so much and that though your sin has separated you from God, God has made a way for your sin to be forgiven so you can be reconciled to God. It's not about keeping you from a life. It's about helping you live the life that God wants you to live through Christ. And you say, well, my life is just fine the way it is right now. Then I would say, okay. But if there's a part of you that says, you know what, I need God in my life. that what I would say to you is God wants you to know how loved you are. And so when Jesus was tapping the shoulders of those disciples saying, I want you to take what I said and go, and it took them a little while, but they eventually did. And in the history of the church, it's been kind of like slow seasons and fast seasons. Well, here we are, 2019. And he has tapped me on the shoulder and he said, I want you to tell them that there's real life in Christ. And then I'm tapping you on the shoulder and I'm saying to you, hey, go to where you work, to where you live, to where you play. And it's not an option. It's not an option. So here's my call to action for you. If you're not a follower of Christ, would you repent of your sin and place your faith in Christ? And just know that God as a father has his arms wide open. Jesus has died for your sin. You can be given new life. For those of you that are in Christ, I think really an appropriate response for most of us, myself, is repentance. Like, I need to repent from allowing fear to whisper into my mind why I can't take the good news of what Jesus has done to people that have not received it. And uh, so maybe for us, it's repentance even as a church of Like, well, we don't invite people to church, nor do we even invite people to the Christian faith because we're afraid or or, or whatever. 
So the call to action is like repentance, like let us prioritize the things that Jesus command over all these other things that command our time and pull on our time and demand our time. And you would say to me, Russell, you don't know how busy I am. Oh, I know you're busy. You don't know how important I am. Oh, I'm sure you're so important. But you know what? You have one life to live. And the good things are going to fill in the places of the best things unless you fight for it. And in the Christian faith, the best thing that you can do is obey Jesus. One command of his is go and make disciples. So who in your life can you begin building a relationship with, encouraging, praying for, loving, serving, so that maybe, just maybe someday, you'd be able to let them hear your story about how God has radically impacted your life. Maybe someday that person will be in here singing songs and singing them with others and being a part of this aroma that's going to the Father. Maybe the people that are around you now that are, feel like to you like they're so far from God, maybe there will be a day where they'll get to sit in the room and they'll get to hear a sermon as if God is breathing on them. That's my hope for you and vision for you, and this is the heartbeat of our church. So um, let's think on and pray about these things. With your head bowed, I just want to say, if your like, heart is stirred, then I just praise God for that. That's the work of the Spirit. If you do and you respond and you say, God, give me that kind of missional impulse that I know Jesus wanted to give to his first disciples, then you are going to be some of the few Christians in all of Christian history that won't let fear keep you from really experiencing something amazing. And that is being a part of the mission of God to fully establish his kingdom. And if you don't, you can keep coming here, of course, and you can keep your Christian kind of moral principles And it'll help you in this life, but you'll really miss out. So just with your head bowed, if you're here and you're not a follower of Christ, you're like, you know what, I need God in my life. Here's what you would do. Just something like, God, I need you in my life. I've made mistakes. I accept that Jesus died on the cross so that my sins could be forgiven so I could experience new life. That's what you call being saved or being born again or becoming a Christian. That simple message has gotten so confusing because of all the religious expressions of it, but that's simply what the Bible says about how to enter into a relationship with God is to repent, turn away from your sin, and turn towards Jesus. For others of you that are in Christ, maybe you need to repent of prioritizing every other thing, every other earthly, temporary thing over the eternal great things that God's calling to you in Christ. And maybe with that, there's a person or two you're going to begin praying for right now, by name, that they would come to faith in Christ and that you would get to be a part of it. I will say to you what Jesus said to all those trembling disciples who heard his word 2,000 years ago and thought, impossible. Behold, Jesus says to you, I am with you all. God Almighty, I just want 
to say thank you that at some point in history, the 2,000-year church history, someone, somewhere, chose not to be afraid, but told told somebody along the way in my life about Jesus, and then that person got to tell me, God, thank you that someone somewhere in the 2000 church history told someone about Jesus, and that was the first person that came to this area of the world and began telling people about Jesus. God, I thank you that somewhere in the world, even now, there are those people that are not letting fear keep them from living the life that you want them to live. And with courage, they're going to hard places, going to hard conversations with the good news that you can experience a really amazing life and have the hope of eternity in Christ. And so, God, thank you for that. And I pray that we would be those people at the front of this line going out forward into the places where they go to school and where they live and where they work and where they play. They'd be the ones with the courage to have the conversation God, what we hear is do not be afraid, and behold, you're with us always. God, thank you for that.